Voice America Health and Wellness. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The nursing industry is one of the fastest-growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hello, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I welcome you back, and I thank you for spreading the word to all the nurses you know and everybody else that you think would be interested in this program. Um, I was thinking about it this week. Have you ever dreamed of being in a helicopter? And then I was thinking about my uncle had such a dream, which he had never shared with anyone. Nonetheless, his dream came true after a severe accident put him on a critical care chopper to the Twin Cities. Unfortunately, he was not awake for the trip. The people who were awake were the flight nurses. I've always wondered what that work is like. I have ridden ambulances, and I know how difficult and terror-filled those trips are like. So what is it like to be a nurse caring for a patient in a helicopter or on a plane? So I know their work spans everything from medical non-urgent transport to critical care nursing. Today, the mysteries will be revealed in this episode called Flying Nurses with my two guests, Bob Batchelor, Managing Director of Flying Angels Incorporated in Philadelphia, and Tina Johnson, who is the President of the Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association, as well as the Eastern Region Transport Provider Advanced Trauma Course Director. (laughs) That's a mouthful, and that doesn't even mention her day job in Atlanta. So I would like to welcome my guests. Um, Bob, could you talk a little bit about, just give us a quick bio of of what you have done along the line of um, nursing? Sure. This is Bob. I've actually been a nurse for just over 25 years now. I was staffed for only a few years in a surgical trauma ICU in downtown Philadelphia, and then for 16 years, I was an independent contractor nurse working all throughout the Philadelphia area, trauma, burn, ICU. Um, And for the last 12 years, I have been involved in the non-emergency medical transport industry on commercial airlines. And currently, I manage Flying Angels, which has nurses uh, around the country and around the world who fly with patients on commercial airlines. Sounds exciting. So, uh, Tina, tell us about kind of the same thing, a bullet point of how you got to be where you are. I actually became a nurse in 1992, and I started working in an emergency department that was both adult and pediatric oriented. Um, And I did that for really 17 years of my career because I kept that uh, job 
in a PRN status even when I was working other areas. But in 1999, I received a phone call from um, a gentleman asking if I would be interested in becoming a flight nurse. And at that time, I said, well, I haven't thought about it, but it sounds like it would look good on a resume. So (laughs) I told him I would do it for a year. And now in 2018, I still am in the same industry. But um, during that time, I've worked for several different uh, flight services around the country. And I have been lucky enough to be able to not only work as a staff level and and be on the rotor wing aircraft and the ground trucks, but to also be able to uh, manage others and educate others and um, do marketing and outreach for these positions as well. So it has been a very... Um, rewarding career. Great. It sounds like it would be and uh, certainly has led you into a a position of responsibility. Uh, Is that just eastern, the eastern part of the United States, large area that you're um, representing? Right. The the two volunteer um, positions that I'm holding right now, one is the president for the Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association, which is the um, same volunteer organization that Bob is affiliated with. And that particular organization really is the... um, our professional organization for flight nurses or ground nurses. And then the transport um, provider advanced trauma course. I've actually taught it since um, early in 2000 and have taken over as that regional director probably back 2006, 2007. And and basically what we do is just make sure that the course, um, it remains a stellar course across our region and support the uh, people that are taking the course as needed. Yeah. So um, talk a little bit more, Bob, can you um, extrapolate on what the work is that you do actually? What does it look like? What are, who are the people that are drawn to it? So two different well, things there, I every, guess. Almost everybody in nursing it gets drawn to one particular specialty or another, you know, whether it's, it's people who want to go and work with neonates or work with pediatrics. Um, yeah, there seems to be a, uh, a cohort of nurses who get drawn to the the ICU and the and the trauma burn and the trauma and the burn and the other adrenaline uh, producing uh, fields? Um, within that, a lot of nurses will go into transport, whether that's uh, ambulance or uh, or into uh, air air aircraft. Um, it, at one extreme, you have uh, the the rotor wing folks, folks like Tina, um, who were transporting people for you know who are very very cute um, for relatively short periods of time, and on the other extreme of that, you'll have our folks um, who are transporting people who are far less acute um, on much, much longer uh, transports, uh, you know, be that, you know, a few hours, uh, somebody who is going from a nursing home in uh, Florida to a nursing home up in New York, up to patients um, who are have illnesses that require medical interventions on flights from anywhere in the U.S. to China or India. Mm-hmm. So I know you're using commercial airlines. Would uh, another passenger be aware that there was a patient there that was being transferred uh, for medical reasons? One of the one of the ways we work with the airlines is really trying to draw as little attention uh, to the folks that we're transporting um, as possible. We consider ourselves guests 
um, on any aircraft uh, that we're on. So even when we're bringing a, a ventilated patient into a business class setting um, on an international carrier, um, we'll do everything possible to try to, to, try to minimize um, uh, the inconvenience we pose to the airline crew um, and to make the passengers um, to try to, you know, not interfere with, with their comfortable ride. Many of them are on business or pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. So they may not even know we're there. We'll be the first persons to board the aircraft, um, situate the patient, and then cover the patient with a blanket. And then in many cases, we'll have a patient on an international flight, and nobody will even realize that uh, we're transporting a patient. Really? And then would you be the last off or the first off? We are actually, anytime you have anybody with disabilities, and that's whether they're traveling with, uh, with us or just traveling on their own, um, the person with disabilities will be the first person to board the aircraft. As a matter of fact, you'll often see um, people, uh, when you're boarding a plane, they'll say, we're going to pre-board, and that's people in wheelchairs mm-hmm. or people who have mm-hmm. disabilities. They'll be the first ones on. When you land where you are, um, anybody with disabilities will be the last people to okay. leave the aircraft. Okay, that makes sense to me. So, Tina, tell me um, what it looks like for you because you're not using commercial airlines. You're using uh, air, um, planes and helicopters specifically for medical transport. Is that correct? Right. Over the years, I've worked at both what we call community-based models as well as hospital-based models. So the community-based model usually is a private helicopter service that um, – is for-profit normally, and they have helicopters that are stationed around the community. They may be at airports. They may be at private bases that um, have their own helipad, but these are actually um, men and women that go in and uh, do quite commonly 24-hour shifts, and Uh they do that two or three times a week, and they will fly out to scenes like on the interstate when you have a car wreck or they Mm -hmm. may fly out to another hospital to pick up that patient that's acutely ill with a heart attack or a stroke and take them into a larger hospital. So the folks that work at the community-based models normally, quite commonly, will be located outside of the hospital setting. The hospital-based programs... (laughs) a lot of times are considered a little bit more of the critical care programs. And -hmm. the only reason I say that is because they have a formal backing by that university hospital or that um, hospital that they're affiliated with. And so they're able to do point of care lab testing and they're able to be able to get their foot in the door to do some of the more critical clinical time that they need to. They may have balloon pops. They may have ultrasound. So a lot of times they have a little bit more, of a um, broader spectrum, really, of the equipment that they may have access to and sometimes even the clinical capabilities. It just depends on how both of those areas are managed. So um, I have done both in my career and actually love both of them equally as much because of the um, different rotor-wing aircraft that we've flown in as well as the different experiences that we've had. So over the course of the time that I've been a flight nurse, I've flown in um, several Eurocopter aircraft, whether it was A-Stars or Twin Stars. Um, I've flown in 407, uh, EC-135, EC-145, and the BK-117. So these are all different aircraft that during a specific time in my career 
was my dedicated aircraft, and um, it just it really lets you see the differences in working in each of those different sized aircrafts and, and knowing their capabilities. Tina, is there a specific kind of personality that um, does best in this kind of work? Well, I hate to stereotype, but the type A personalities really are the best. <laughs> um, mm. A lot of the personalities that you have to have for the rotor wing transport team specifically um, kind of falls into that what we think of as the type A personality, and it's because you have to be able to make decisions on your own and trust that you're making the right decision, and then mm-hmm. you also have to be able to assess a situation quickly and move quickly. So, you know, it may be that you and your partner are the only two people that are on the scene of, you know, a massive NBC that's occurred, sure. a massive car crash, and now you're having to make the decision about what steps need to be done to save that particular patient. So you really want to be someone that um, can make quick decisions and then feel confident that you're making the right decision. So you would never be in a situation where you would be the sole um, caregiver on the on the plane or on the helicopter? Uh, normally not. We normally have at least one partner at all times. Um, one of the configurations that you look at would be a nurse medic configuration. Sometimes you may have a nurse respiratory therapist. And there are a few programs around the country that actually have nurse and physicians or fellows that they fly with. So normally in the rotor wing area, most of the time, the configuration is to have two crew members that you utilize. Okay. And Bob, uh, would there ever be a situation where there would be two people transporting one patient? Yes, we we do have criteria. Uh, If we're transporting somebody who is, say, over 250 pounds and completely immobile, we do a lot of quadriplegics um, and the like, and we're going to have multiple stops. We may send um, two people. Uh, When we transport patients on ventilators internationally, uh, we'll almost always send a nurse and a respiratory therapist uh, but the vast majority of our missions are simply one RN and uh, the patient. Okay. So um, what are the things that you find most interesting or what you think that the, the audience would find most interesting about what you do? And, and keep in mind that most of our audience is probably um, either nurses or medically connected. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't say who. <laughs> Bob? Well, I, I think the, the, the thing that would probably surprise uh, the medical community the most is the level of acuity of patients um, that we actually do transport. Um, you know, in, in many cases, people think that, uh, that you know, we're simply um, you know, escorts who are traveling with somebody to keep them company, um, whereas a large number of our patients, if not almost all of our patients, have some type of active medical need um, that needs care during transport. Uh, we again, we do a lot of quadriplegics, um, paraplegics, and you know, we're obviously we have them in a rather small seat, even domestic or internationally. You know, and you're always, you know, you're always addressing, you know, skin issues, uh, making sure that they're moved, hydrated, um, that kind of uh, situation. We have a lot of psychiatric patients that range from 
you know, people who might have a psychiatric break on a plane and need to be sedated, uh, to patients who have dementia, um, who need to have their behavior controlled and modified. And again, I'm, you know, going to refer you, sedation is something that we frequently do, uh, you know, with this type of community, um, you know, up to patients who, you know, have pulmonary issues, um, you know, and will need oxygen um, throughout their flight, and you're continually keeping an eye on, on, you know, their pulmonary status, you know, how their lungs are being affected um, by the, uh, the increase in altitude going up to 8,000 feet, how their lungs are being affected by the dry air um, that's in an aircraft uh, and, and the very low humidity that's in an aircraft, mm-hmm. um, and those kind of issues. So we're, and we provide IV fluids for our patients, IV antibiotics. So we're kind of running the whole, the whole gambit of, uh, of nursing care to the patients on the aircraft. So, Bob, do you have uh, monitoring equipment and do you do, <clears throat> excuse me, like IV pumps or are you just eyeballing it the way we used to do in the old days? Uh, most, of, most of what we're doing, we do, we do some medications on IV pumps and IV syringe pumps, but the vast majority of our IVs are, are just for hydration. Uh, okay. We're just doing it the old-fashioned way by counting the, uh, by counting the drips. Um, again, when our, when our longer transports, when we have patients receiving scheduled IV antibiotics, again, you know, just eyeballing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Tina, is there um, a type of patient or um, situation that is most um, terrifying, perhaps, to you? Uh, there- well, <laughs> for me, I always consistently go back to some of the congenital um, neonates that we transport mm-hmm. because a lot of these babies have um, just recently been born. And so even though we have an idea of some of the um, abnormalities anatomically that they were born with, we may not know all of them. And so to right. me, those transports a lot of times can kind of um, max my knowledge base because it's amazing how many different congenital anomalies you can have um, and that you can have that not many people know about. So right. to me, those are probably the um, scariest and the ones that are are the ones that are going to make us work the hardest, probably. Now you're touching on my area of expertise, um, <clears throat> having worked in OB for quite a few years. Um, and I remember that what they always used to tell us is if you see one anomaly, there probably are more that you can't see. So um, right. I, I can I can get that too. How much does uh, the altitude change and all of the other different things? Uh, uh, how does that impact like a newborn when they're they're not adjusted to normal, um, uh, you know, oxygen and etc. Uh, are there big changes when you take them up that they might not have had if they stayed on the ground? Well, luckily enough. Um, in my personal career, I've stayed more towards the southeast in the majority of the flying that I've done. So we have um, low-level operations, which means that we're definitely normally less than 10,000 feet. But even with um, minor changes, depending on how the child is already compensating, 
Um, mm-hmm. We may see that the respiratory rate starts to change and even some of the oxygenation. And, and most of that is going to be dependent just on our altitude change from what is baseline for that infant. So um, it's interesting because I've done... NICU, PICU specialty as well as adults over the years and it's uh, the changes that you see in the neonate when you change altitude is very similar to the changes that you see in that um, geriatric male that's the cardiac really? patient. Once you get into higher altitude, the respiratory sure. rate goes up, the fats drop marginally mm-hmm. um, and we, uh, we know to kind of counter that a little bit with just some supplemental nasal cannula and usually they go back to baseline pretty easily. Okay. Tina, we're going to go to break here. And uh, we are talking uh, about flying nurses. And we're talking to two flying nurses. So if you're just checking in, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, your host. And I'm here with Bob Batchelor and Tina Johnson. Please uh, come back and join us after the break. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
were listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And yes, we are back from our break. I'd like to, um, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, we are talking about flying nurses. And I have been talking with Bob Batchelor and Tina Johnson uh, about some different areas uh, about flying and and that sort of thing. Uh, Very interesting topic. And Bob, could you talk about how people get into this and is there, you know, certain type of people that work best in the field that you're in? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Many of our flight nurses actually tend to be on the the older side, and I hope I'm not not offending anybody. I'm in my (laughs) 50s, um, and most of the nurses who uh, work for us are in their late 40s and uh, mid-50s. Um, we actually have one or two that are they're in their 60s. Um, these are folks who have been uh, in the medical field, nurses, you know, in many cases for 10, 20, you know, even 25 years or longer who have an extensive background. Um, while many of them come out of the critical fields, uh, surgical trauma, ICU, medical ICU, and the like, because we're not dealing with the acuity level of patients uh, that Tina is going to see on a, on a rotor wing or maybe even an air ambulance, you know, these are people who will still have very, very subtle changes. And when we're having a nurse transport a patient, say, to China, you know, they are flying over the North Pole and there's going to be a, a six-hour window where it is pretty much just the nurse and the patient, um, you know, mm. for all intents all by themselves unless there's actually a medical emergency. So we're looking for people who have good clinical skills, but also, you know, can, can step back um, and analyze the situation, you know, for a long duration of time. Mm-hmm. Also, because we're using commercial airlines, as anybody can tell you, you know, there's many factors that can change our plans. We have weather delays. We have equipment delays. Uh, we've had nurses, um, you know, get overnighted in Moscow um, <laughs> because a plane had a breakdown. So what we also need is people with the good clinical skills, but also the ability to think on their feet and, and to be able to make good decisions, you know, for the benefit of the patient. Do they need to take this patient to a hospital overnight, or do they just need to take them to a hotel overnight and monitor them that way? You know, mm-hmm. these are people who have to be calm under pressure for extended periods of time. Also, since our nurses are traveling, you know, say two or three or four or five days, um, at a time with the patient, a, a flight to India will actually take five days from the time the nurse leaves their home, gets to where the patient is, flies the patient to the foreign country, uh, gets their rest time, and then flies back. Many of our nurses are folks who have already you know, maybe had children, their children have grown, their children have moved out, and, and they're on their own. Wow. So, so that brings up the issue of sleep. It, um, if you're... I'm, I'm thinking maybe you aren't traveling alone when you're going to India with somebody, um, but how do you get rest? 
Well, if we're transporting somebody who needs you know, active monitoring um, on a flight to India, for, for say, where it is going to be a 24-hour transport, that's a situation where we would have two nurses going okay. um, so that the nurse, could, the nurse could sleep. And obviously, you're sleeping in your, in your business class seat, and they're just trading on and off, catching catnaps um, okay. as they go. Wow. <sighs> that brings in all kinds of stuff with the sleep uh, sleep issue. Um, <laughs> well, one, so- of the other, one of the other things we're looking for um, with our nurses, and, and this becomes a, a pretty quick self-selector, um, you know, this is, it's not for everybody. Uh, not mm-hmm. everybody is just comfortable, um, you know, being on, a, on an airline. Um, mm-hmm. Our nurses, you know, tend to find out pretty quickly they enjoy it. And many of the nurses who come to us, um, have done extensive traveling. Uh, it's the combination of people who um, have medical experience, but yet also have a, a love for for travel. Um, okay. One of the interesting aspects uh, that people always ask me about this is is the pay, and I tell people that you can make more money as a nurse by working in an ICU doing um, contract shift work. Uh, than you can working for us. It's just the economics of the industry, but you'll mm-hmm. never have as much fun. You can work yeah. a shift in the ICU every week if you want, you know. But uh-huh. how many times are you actually going to get to go to India for work or China? Yeah. Tina, um, same kind of information I'm looking for from you. What uh, Bob was describing as uh, the age and experience of people, we used to call that seasoned nurses, so that we weren't. Uh, insulting anybody so do what what do you have the same kind of seasoning or what does it look like in your uh, area yeah it depends on which company and which area of the united states you're working in but most areas have a rule that say that that says that nurses have to have three to five years of critical care experience in order to get a job as a flight nurse so that means that we're taking the um, younger nurses quite commonly, but yet they do have a little bit of nursing experience behind their belts. Um, and I'm sure that you've read the research and looked at the current nursing shortage and how it looks around the country. What I am seeing now compared to when I first became a flight nurse is that a lot of nurses are working much longer in their career. And we do have some nurses that I they know of as personal friends that are still flying around the country that um, is probably a little bit older than their counterparts were when they were still flying. So mm-hmm. I think that um, most of the time the rotor wing industry is an industry that you see the younger nurses go into. But then um, I think that once once you've been bitten by the transport bug, a lot of these <laughs> nurses are doing it as a lifelong career. So you'll see that some of these nurses right now are really honestly getting to the point of retirement age. So um, I think it's a broad stand. I think that the younger nurses are attracted to it because of the ability to uh, work autonomously and because of the uh, lifestyle of working a 24-hour shift and then being able to have several days in a row off, but I do feel like a lot of us are still doing it, even though we are starting to get a little bit older (laughs) than we were when we started. What what would be the, I mean, I don't know if this issue ever comes up, um, either with Bob or with you, Tina, um, and I'll keep with Tina here, uh, that these uh, more seasoned nurses 
are there ever any problems that they have, like a heart attack or a stroke or anything like that, that would interfere with the work they're doing at the time they're on duty? Well, as you know, as we age, you know, that's more and more um, potential for that to happen. But for the most part, most of the nurses that are doing the rotor wing stuff, are, they are taking the measures that they need to stay into, into some kind of healthy working shape. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them are very active, whether they're hiking or at the gym. Um, so what we're seeing, I, I do feel like that a lot of them are really working hard to make sure that they're doing a good job at their preventative medications. And the That's same great. rotation applies uh, with us. Uh, the majority of our nurses uh, try to stay pretty physically fit. Okay, that makes sense. So that's kind of part of the job. Tina, um, what are your thoughts as far as um, wages and benefits? Um, Bob had addressed, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that it well, probably isn't as... I'm sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, notoriously, um, rotor wing services have paid a little bit less than the hospital-based services, but I think that what we've seen is a uh, kind of a shift in that over the last five to ten years. So I do feel like compensation and benefits um, has really started to be pretty comparable in the um, rotor wing industry so that it's um, maybe not absolutely right on track with the hospital um, employment, but I think that it's really getting to the point that it's pretty close now. So are you talking about employees of the hospital or um, travel nurses? Well, if you look at a nurse that's working in an ICU setting, notoriously they made more than the nurse that was working for that private company rotor wing service. I see. And so now I think that we've started to see kind of a shift in that so that the private services are starting to be comparable to those hospital-based services. I see. Okay. So what are some of the things that you like to, you know, um, talk about or what are some of the things that you feel like um, our audience would need to or like to know more about? Well, I'm going to chime in here because one of the questions that that is most often asked is how do you get into the, uh, how do you get into the field? Um, Mm -hmm. Either uh, the rotor wing field um, or, or what we do. Um, and, And I think the entry points, you know, for the base clinical experience are, are probably not dissimilar. Um, obviously, you're going to want to get your RN, um, you know, BSN absolutely preferred, you know, and then you're going to want to, uh, and, and Tina, please feel free to, to chime in here at any point um, if there's something that, uh, that I skip over. Um, but then, you know, get your experience in the critical care um, ER areas, usually a combination of both. Uh, is beneficial. I, you know, when people ask me where do they start, I would, I would say try to get into the uh, the surgical trauma ICUs, um, you know, as early in your career as possible, and also try to cross train into uh, the ER um, with those experiences. And while you are doing that, um, get your certifications. Um, in the ER, you can get your certified emergency nurse certification. In the ICU, you can get your critical care registered nurse certification, um, your CCRN, and they're coming out with the, uh, the, the uh, 
trauma nurse certification. Um, so there's, you know, anywhere you can go, uh, you can get these certifications, which really kind of show a dedication um, to, to growth. Um, get your bachelor's if you've already haven't done so. Uh, getting your master's is, is certainly helpful, although I'm probably not, uh, not necessary. And then get involved with an organization um, like mm-hmm. ASNA, the Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association. Um, there's all kinds of terrific resources there um, and all kinds of materials uh, that, you can, that you can learn from, and you'll learn about the conferences that we have. And those, if you really want to get into the field, um, those are probably the conferences to get you know to go to, to meet the people who are who are in the profession. Now, what's what's kind of interesting, uh, and again, Tina can probably speak to this better than I can, is I'm in the Philadelphia metropolitan area, and there are a lot more nurses here than there are, uh, or I should say, the ratio of nurses to the ratio of helicopter programs is pretty high. There's an awful lot of nurses here in Philadelphia and New York and. and and Washington and Baltimore, and we have an awful lot of trauma centers that are, you know, pretty close to each other. So there isn't as much helicopter transport as there is, say, out in the Midwest, where you have a much greater distance uh, to cover. So there may not be as many opportunities. So if somebody really has the burning desire to go in the rotor wing, they may want to consider where they want to live uh-huh. geographically to see where their opportunities present themselves. Um, sure. Whereas the folks who work for us um, on the commercial airlines, our nurses tend to be clustered around the major metropolitan areas because that's where the airports are. We'll have nurses here in Philadelphia, Dallas, Seattle, Denver, Chicago, um, which is pretty much the exact opposite of the rotoring folks. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, we need to go to another break. And so when we come back, uh, Tina, we will hear what you have to say about all of that. So this is okay. Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, if you're just checking in. And we're talking about flying nurses. I'm talking with Bob Batchelor and Tina Johnson. Please return to us in a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Yes, welcome back. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I'm Leanne Meyer, your host. We're talking about flying nurses today, and I'm here with Bob Batchelor and T- Tina Johnson. And I'm going to start with Tina. We've been talking about um, uh, the kinds of things you need to have to be able to go into this field. Could you pick that up? Uh, yes. So as a um, runaway flight nurse, we were talking about the, the fact that most people do want to have three to five years of critical care experience and we were kind of just talking a little bit about the different types of experiences that you have and um, Bob was mentioning the ICU setting which is always an awesome place to get a start especially as a critical care nurse um, that's going to be doing higher acuity calls but one of the other things that I wanted to mention is that some of the community-based models that do a higher volume of work, which is where they're picking the patient up on the side of the mountain or, you know, on the side of the road where there's been a car wreck, things like that. Those type of nurses a lot of times do really well coming from an emergency room background, and it's because of the um, quick approach to airway and breathing and circulation that they need to have and the ability to kind of move very quickly. Um, the ICU nurses, of course, are amazing for your hospital-based areas that are doing critical care and having to juggle pressors and A-lines and CVPs and all of those different invasive things. So both areas bring added value to the table depending on which flight service you're working for. I hadn't really thought about that, but, you know, on the scene, that kind of thing where you're look, looking at multiple injuries and maybe even things you don't know what's going on, um, certainly could see where the ER would be helpful there. Um, yes. Yeah. So both of you talked a little bit about um, the nursing shortage 
And um, that's a lot of people are talking about that and kind of what's going to happen with that. It's one of the reasons why I'm doing this show. I wanted to really recruit nurses, um, those people who never had considered nursing, people that are in nursing but are either bored or feel like they have to go somewhere else to to um, get excited again about their career, and then people who have uh, left nursing for whatever reason and are deciding to come back. So are those some of the things you're looking at as far as finding new nurses for these roles? And um, are there other ones that you've thought of I haven't thought of? Well, when you look at the current um, numbers that are kind of evolving about how desperate the nursing shortage will become <laughs> over the next several years. There are actually a lot of different programs that are looking at different options around the country. And um, when you look at the requirement, you know, we have standards that are set for us by CAMES, which is our kind of accrediting body that we think of most commonly, and it requires that these nurses have a certain amount of experience. So some of the programs around the country have started looking at um, programs where they support their paramedics becoming nurses and then support them as they evolve into their um, number of years as a nurse and continue to come back into the service now in a different role. Um, others have started looking at recruiting um, staff early on, so uh, certain areas have even started going to nursing schools and talking to them about the potential for a career in flight nursing so that they can kind of grab those nurses as they're hitting their three-year mark. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of different things out there that we're looking at because, and, and Bob, chime in if you're seeing something different, but what we're seeing in certain parts of the country is that nurses are coming out with their undergraduate and then immediately turning back around and going back to school for their nurse practitioner, um, nurse practitioner, or either they're going back in for an advanced degree, and a lot of those nurses will never make it into a flight career because they've advanced on in that hospital setting. Right. So, being able to talk to these nurses early on about the autonomy they can have with a flight career is something that a lot of the different parts of the country we've started doing just to see if we can get these nurses to work as an undergrad for a few years and then come into sure. the flight industry. Bob, is that the same for you or is it different? Well, it's a little bit different. Tina, are you having um, any problem recruiting um, flight nurses for some of your programs? Are you actually finding a, a shortage of qualified nurses for the uh, for the helicopters? Yes, we are. And, and my career prior to going back to Atlanta was that I worked at a um, private business that had bases all the way from Oregon to South Carolina, and as I would go out and do interviews in different parts of the country, there were definite um, low volumes. Um, It was very difficult, depending on which part of the country we were in, to find staff that could work the aircraft. I think we may have lost which Tina is, there. Which is interesting because that, that leads it back to a point I made earlier when, you know, if somebody, um, you know, saw, say from a major metropolitan area really has the, the bug um, and really wants to be a, a rotor wing nurse, um, you know, they really should consider where they, they want to live and maybe find an area um, that would be, that has a current need. Uh, Tina, how... 
how would how would somebody find out? Like, let's say I'm in Philadelphia and I really want to be a rotowing nurse. Um, how would I find out where a good area to go that would that would have a need? Honestly, one of the the better areas to start networking and to look at what your options are. Um, and, and I hate to throw a jab in here, but is really the Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association because they're the one entity that is nationwide. Any other references that I would give would be related to a specific company or to a specific area. And so when you look at someone that's a neutral body that could help guide these nurses in the areas of where they could potentially find a job and what their resources are, I really think that it goes back to our professional um, organization. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that's terrific. And, and again, since uh, you know, Tina is the president of, uh, of ASNA, um, I, would, I would recommend anybody who's interested in any aspect of this to simply go to ASNA, A-S-T-N-A, Air and Surface Transport Nurses Association, uh, .org. To the question of, about us, because our nurse population tends to be older, uh, seasoned nurses, so I don't get myself in trouble since we have more seasoned <laughs> nurses, um, you know, we probably have 10 to 25 applicants, uh, you know, that come in on a, on a weekly basis, and some of these people are terrifically well qualified. Um, and because our turnover um, is relatively low, once people start doing this, uh, the commercial side, flying patients on the commercial airlines, they generally tend to stay doing it for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and they, they, they almost never get out. So, you know, we've never actually had a, a shortage. There's still an abundance of, of highly qualified people for us, and our biggest challenge is, is finding those people who are, you know, the, the right fit for what we do. Um, I'm Ooh, curious all, about... All very, very qualified people. So we have a terrific pool of applicants. I'm curious about military service, too. Um, Tina, you had mentioned paramedics going on to nursing and then going into a field like this. Uh, what about medics in uh, military service or nurses in military service? Do you, do you know how many people draw from that area? Um, I know that when they, you know, return from their duty period that uh, quite frequently they make excellent employees if you can get them into your area. I'm not sure what the volume looks like as far as people coming back from the military and then joining um, the private industry. I don't know what the volume of that looks like. Okay. Um, I was curious. I wondered if People work differently coming from that area. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think in terms of when I was working in hospital nursing, we would sometimes have conflict between the people coming from um, having been in a in an uh, active. Uh, I forget what they call it. Active uh, war area, uh, as opposed to somebody who had only been in um, the hospital nursing because. Uh, just the culture and um, dialogue and uh, different ways of interacting with each other, I think, would be quite different. We had some difficulties that we had to kind of work with conflict management on some of those things. And I was just curious if um, there were some of those things that come up. Tina. I think they normally acclimate pretty well. Um, and I... Uh, 
for me, the the employees that I've hired that have been fresh out of the military, they have been some of the best employees that I've had because mm-hmm. they're very conscientious about getting to work, doing their job, learning mm-hmm. the things that they need. Um, I mean, it's 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 been a it, notoriously it has been a very good hire across the board. That's good, um, Bob. Are you familiar with this at all? Maybe you don't see as much of it. Yeah, there's not a there's not a tremendous amount of crossover, um, you know, in our particular industry. So I would think people who are who are coming out of active duty military service uh, would probably be more aligned with uh, with with Tina's uh, Tina's role. Okay, Tina, we're um, coming toward the end of our our show today. Uh, we still have um, uh, about three or four minutes left. But I wanted to just ask each of you, um, what if there's one thing that you could send a message to nurses around the world about the kind of work that you do, what would it be? Well, let me, let me field this one to start, and then, then Tina can follow up. I, I have been a nurse for 25 years, and when I started nursing school, um, I went to a community college program uh, to start because I was a child of the 70s and 80s and really had not expected to make a, a career in nursing. Uh, it was more a matter of because of the economics. As I was growing up, I wanted to make sure that I knew I always had a steady job you know, when, mm-hmm. I had, when I had kids later on in life. And now I look back on it 25 years later, and obviously I've, I've had a fantastic career, and I, I still have years ahead of me. I would encourage anybody to go into nursing. Uh, it, you know, men, women, it is a fantastic uh, field. You can go in, you can do anything from working in an office to flying on a helicopter to flying around the world with patients. The, the diversity of what you can do in nursing is absolutely amazing. Um, and it's hard to imagine somebody coming into the profession and, and not finding something that they absolutely love to do, whether it's the academic going into the, uh, the nurse practitioner role, whether it's going into becoming a nurse anesthetist, whether it's working in a trauma bay, or, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do as a nurse. So I, I love being a nurse. I think it's one of the greatest careers in the world today. Great. Tina, do you want to add to that? I think you covered a lot of pieces there. You've got about um, about say, a minute, minute and a half. <clears throat> yeah, I have to say I completely agree with him. I've uh, had three children as well as my nursing career, and it has given me the flexibility I needed at any given time to um, be able to do what I needed to. I did fly rotor wing through two of my pregnancies um, and just was um, able to really be able to continue to care for myself financially as needed while I was um, taking care of my children as well. So I, uh, I do think it's probably one of the best careers out there. Sounds pretty, pretty good. This has been a really interesting segment, and I really appreciate both of you being on. You are both very wonderful speakers, and certainly um, uh, uh, to be the, the industry that you're in should be very, very proud of both of you. So um, we have come again to an end of our show. Um, I wanted to just briefly, again, thank everyone who's been listening to the show uh, this is an international program, 
And so every single week, the numbers of people listening is going up by five to 800 people a week. And so I'd just like to encourage all of you to continue telling everybody you know, the people you work with, um, people on Facebook or your media, social media networks, uh, to just keep letting people know about this program. Uh, What I hear from nurses is that this is really something they feel speaks specifically to them in a way that nothing else has. And I feel really honored to be a part of it. And I hope that this can continue on for um, for a long time. So uh, again, if you know of anybody who would be interested in sponsoring our program, uh, just let me know through my email address, Leanne Voice America at gmail.com. Um, or if you yourself are interested in whatever type of uh, uh, sponsorship, uh, it can go from a very small amount to uh, quite a large input. So give me some input to that. If there's something you uh, know about, I would be greatly appreciative of it so that we can continue this program as we go forward. I will see, or I guess I will hear you um, next week. And um, thank you again for, for listening. And thank Bob and Tina. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.